good morning. Welcome to Life Church. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today, and hopefully you're having a wonderful, wonderful week. You know, I was walking uh, down the sidewalk this morning, and I was just so thankful for the white stuff on the sidewalk, not the snow, but the salt. I know we get tired of the salt, right? It gets on your pants, it gets on your cars, it's yeah, all that stuff. But last weekend, I was supposed to be with you, which is where I want to be. But this thing called ice came between you and I. And so I was in southern Missouri at Evangel University on this uh, kind of this group of, of leaders that were discussing some new um, new programs and some new degree programs and platforms for the university. And I was assured I could get out. And so I called the airline, made sure, yep, everything's good, good to go. Yep, no problem. Yep, yep, Mr. Cole, it's great, it's great. Uh, started started sleeping a little bit on that Saturday. Yep, yep, no problem. You will make it, no problem. Got to the airport, yeah, and it was a little bit crazy. You're having to kind of like walk like Tim Conway, just kind of slide on the sidewalks because you don't want to slip and fall. And um, and so only to get there, and before I turned in my rental car, I mean, I've done this thing before, uh, I went and just said, are you sure? And they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. It's, it's ready to go. The plane's here. Crew's here. Everything's great. No problem. Good. So get over, get on the plane. Two and a half hours later, sitting on the tarmac. Yeah, you know where this is going. So it's just like, you know, the de-icer guys didn't show up, and so they got to call them from their house in Possum Trot, Arkansas. I don't know where they came from. And then, <laughs> right, just one of those things, and then they didn't show up. And now the, the runway has now deteriorated to the point that we can't, we can no longer take out. So take off, so we'll leave tomorrow morning, which means I don't get out. And so, um, so anyhow, and then I, I'm, I'm getting my bag, because it was a carry-on, I'm getting my bag. I hate to check luggage, and I've I'm, I'm got it, and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on it, and the pilot's walking, and I say, hey, we'll be out at 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, really? He goes, yeah. I said, there's no way, man. There is no way. I mean, I've been on this, 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 this pattern before. He goes, why do you think that? I said, because the mercury's not going to be above 18 degrees in the morning, and it's not going go to go to like 28. So until this stuff melts, we're here. And, nah, uh, nah, nah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I called, right, and just said, hey, when, when's your Monday flights? And they said, we got one at 6 and then one at 11.30. I said, I'll take the 11.30. She said, but Mr. Cole, you can actually go up tomorrow at 7 o'clock. I said, ma'am, I promise you, I will bet on this. There will be no flights out of here tomorrow. And I was right. Call me a prophet or the son of which. <laughs> it was the truth. All the churches were closed down, so I really couldn't go to church. So I did have an excuse to sleep in last Sunday. And, uh, and so you just couldn't go anywhere. And, I, man, it was just like that little bit of ice and uh, so I am so thankful for the salt and to see you, if that makes any sense at all. We're concluding this series today on uh, love stories of the Bible in the, in the book of the Song of Solomon. So Song of Solomon, this is a great book. If I had a very white voice, that's the only thing that would make this book better. If you've not read Song of Solomon, this is one of the things you should do, unless you're a high school boy, and you should not. And so... <laughs> Uh, you'll learn in a minute, but Song of Solomon chapter 8. We, we kicked off the series talking about the priorities in our marriage. Everybody's looking for one. In a relationship, if you're single, you're looking for the one. The problem is, is that we've got the wrong one. We think that the one is a person. And, and the way the Bible describes it is that, is that in, a, in a divine, biblical love story, uh, that God has to be number one and your spouse number two. That that's just the way that it works. And that when you do that, that all these other things that you're looking for in love and marriage and relationship, they come together. Uh, then last week we talked about Jeff Lister did an amazing job uh, preaching on, on how we go through seasons. 
where God speaks to us and he leads us. But in those seasons, we choose to be faithful or faithless. We either choose to be faithful and to trust in the things that God said to us, or we become faithless and we kind of do it on our, on our own. Today, I want to talk to you about what does it mean to have lasting love. And, and, and the key to this is commitment. I don't have a slide for this, but it's a statement I have heard a long time ago, uh, and I totally believe this. It's a commitment that makes a love last, not the love that makes a commitment last. It's the commitment to marriage. It's the commitment to that person. It's the commitment to your spouse. It's the commitment to your home. It's the commitment to God. It's the commitment that makes the love last, not the love that makes the commitment last. Because if you've been in a committed relationship or you've been in a marriage very long, you will find out you lost that love and feeling. It's gone, gone, gone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right? Yeah, amen. Right? And, and, and he doesn't look the same way he looks. And she doesn't look the same way she looked. And life changes. And gravity kicks in. And we all deal with this stuff. Right? It's just life. Right? And the spanks come off. And there it is. And that's it. It's just there you are in all of your glory. And, and, and so this is the truth. We're getting real this morning, people. I'm just telling you right up in your kitchen. So, so the deal is, is that it's commitment. And commitment is countercultural. We, we know what commitment is in our society, but we don't really have it. We're, we're not really committed to anything. And I'm not saying that's, that's, that's wrong in certain areas. I mean, I have a high threshold need of change. Like, I love new inputs. I, I, I love, I, 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 could, I could drive a different car every six months. I mean, I'm just one of those kind of people. I, Tammy has me like on, on a, I can't move a house more than five, after five years, which five years is coming up this summer. So <laughs> might need to see Kevin Nash. But anyhow, I'm just saying, like, I, I, that's just me. Like, I, I have this, I mean, we've lived in, what, five, five places in 15 years? Four, five different houses. So, I mean, that's just, just me. I like to buy and sell, fix up, and then sell it, and then, you know, just kind of just keep going. I mean, just, I, I, but the problem is, is that when that level of thinking comes into your commitment with the Lord, or your commitment with your spouse, or with your family, which it does a lot in our society, that creep kind of comes into it, and it just kind of creeps over, there's a problem because we're not committed. It's not that it's the love is not doing its part. It's not that God's not doing its part. It's not that your spouse has failed. It's a lack of commitment that originates with you. And that's really what I want to spend some time today. So we're going to look at the Song of Solomon. And, and this, is, this is a love story from King Solomon to his wife. And there are many things as you read this particular book in the Old Testament that doesn't make a lot of sense culturally. So I'm going to have to translate some things. Like Solomon says, this is one of the statements that he says, he compares his wife uh, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. So I don't know any woman that would be, want to be compared to a horse. Do you understand? You look like this beautiful, this beautiful, beautiful horse among Pharaoh's chariots. And there's no woman that goes, oh, say that to me again. Just say it to me softly and slowly with those smoldering eyes. It just doesn't work, Right. So some of this has to be kind of, kind of contextualized. Uh, but I want to jump right into this. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse number 5. Who is this coming up from the desert leaning on her lover? Beloved, under the apple tree I roused you. Yeah, that's exactly what you think it means. There your mother conceived you. There she was in labor and gave birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. And it burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. For love to be lasting, lasting love is, first of all, Solomon describes it as possessive. He describes lasting love as possessive. Again, I understand these ideologies are countercultural, but it's God's word. 
She says, place it like a seal. Uh, uh, a seal in, 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 in this particular day and time would have been uh, like an ID or like, a, like it was... Um, Anytime a letter went out, it had an official seal on it so that it, said, it showed, it certified that it was coming from the actual sender that it said that it was. And, and the recipient had to open it and break the seal in order to do it. It was almost like a credit card that there was any type of financial arrangement that was, that was brought together with this that, that the sender would be responsible uh, and so if you would buy something, sell something, do any kind of exchange, any type of, it, there was a seal, it formalized it. It was like how we would sign our name today. In this particular context, it's saying, place me like a seal over your heart or a seal on your arm. It's where we get the ideology of wedding rings from. So it's the fact that when you see that someone has a wedding ring on, it means that they're taken, that they're spoken for, that they're committed, that they're in a committed relationship. And essentially what she's saying is, is that I want your heart to be mine, and I want the world to see it. Secondly, she goes and she says, for this love is as strong as death. This love is as strong as death. This is where we get the phrase, in every wedding ceremony, till death do us part. It's where it comes from. It's not just a great phrase. And everybody kind of likes that thought. Everybody kind of does it. You know, I do a lot of weddings or have done a lot of weddings. And, and there's different phrases that people like and don't like, and they write their vows, they do different things. But this is one of the phrases that very rarely, if ever, is ever taken out of a wedding ceremony, because there's something that's endearing, that's enduring. It's this, it's this ideology that we're going to grow old together, that we're going we're, we're, we're to stay together, that, that this is going to be strong. And, and, and even in our world today, that's still something that people aspire to, they, they idolize, they, they look to, and, and it's something that we, we like, but Again, it's this commitment. It's this idea that lasting love is possessive, that I'm yours and you're mine. Actually, in the Jewish culture in which this would have been written, uh, they would actually cut up an animal, and the husband and the wife, the, 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 the new bride and groom, would walk through the blood and, 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 and the pieces of this animal in order to show that if we are separated... Let us let if we are separated, let us be cut up like this animal. That there is this there is this bond that comes between both of us, that, that there's this commitment that should not be broken. But 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 the possessive, again, this is this is somewhat countercultural, is healthy. It's not a thing of lording over. So you have to go back to biblical context. Uh, and, and, and this is where our world warps things. And so I, I really encourage you, beyond me preaching or anybody else that you hear or speaking on, on any subject, I don't care if it's a professor uh, doing a lecture or you hear a TED Talk uh, on your computer or it's a weekend service, go back to chapter and verse. What is it saying? What does it mean? And is that interpretation clear? And, and is, it, is it consistent with Scripture? Because in Scripture, it doesn't show a husband and wife as being one over the other. It shows they're hand in hand, side by side, equal in value, different in function. It's important to understand that. Because the world that we live in, there is this, are men over women or are women over men? And, and where does this line come? And how is this? And what about this rights? And what about that rights? And what about inequality here? And there's all of this talk. And, and I want you to understand, God never put it so that we'd be pitted against each other. He put it that we would not compete, but we'd complement. But in the world in which we live in, it doesn't always play out like that. Why? Because we live in a world that's full of sin, and we're jacked up people, and we're fall, flawed humanity, and we have our issues. And, and so I'm just saying, as you look at this, it's this thing of, it's not a possessive of, hey, woman, have dinner on the table by 5 o'clock. Right? You ever been around a chauvinistic man before? It's, there's very few things that are, any, are, are very much more like off-putting than that. And I'm a guy. 
But I've seen some men, the way they, in their chauvinistic activities, and they, they will take chapter and verse out of context as a way to lord over their wives. It doesn't hold any theological water. It's not there. Um, at the same time, I've also seen the flip of that, where you've got an overbearing woman who just beats that man down to where he's completely submissive. Yes, ma'am. And, and that's it. And, and it's just, it's, it's, it's an awkward deal. It, it's, it's this, when he talks about, when she talks about this in this passage of being possessive, it's, we're to get in this together. It's not a competing, it's a complementary. That we're going to hold this person, our spouse, as the most vi- valuable possession that we have in this world. We're going to protect we're going to provide. We're going to cultivate that relationship. Husband to wife, wife to husband. This isn't just a man thing. This is a woman thing. This is how we live and love each other. Let's read on in verse number 7 of Song of Solomon chapter 8. Many waters cannot quench this love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were given to all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. So we see here that lasting love is persevering. It lasts. Lasting love is persevering. It perseveres. The, the, the phrase there that many waters cannot quench the love, that rivers cannot wash it away, it, it's, it's, it's speaking of the, the perseverance that storms are coming, that issues are going to happen, that things are going to happen in life. But, but, but this love is not going to be easily washed away, that a storm is not going to blow it away, that, 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 that it's going to be prepared, it's going to be ready, it's going to be there when the storms come. Because storms are going to happen in life. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. And so, so sometimes I think we think that, well, if I'm a Christian and I'm in a Christian marriage, then everything's going to be great. No, it's all going to come out okay because the Bible says even when the enemy of your soul tries to, you to harm you, to destroy you, that God will use it for your good. But it doesn't mean that you get a get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to storms in life. You're going to have problems. There's going to be issues. There's going to be things you disagree on. There's going to be things you're going to have to agree to disagree on. There, there, there's going to be. But at the end of time... At the end of it, and in all of it, that there's going to be this wholeness that, that you're together. Again, it goes back to this, this, this thinking of being committed. And I think one of the best things you can do in a relationship is to be prepared for when the storms come. Are you prepared for the storms? Have you minimized the storms that can happen in your life? Uh, and, and so and what I say with that is, is if you are single or you're engaged but you're not yet married, have a lot of conversations. What do you want in life? Where do, you, where do you want to live? What does it look like? What kind of money do you want to make? What are non-negotiables to you? What, 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 what about your family? What about her family? What about the in-laws and the outlaws? How does this work together? What about kids? How many kids do you want? What, how are you going to discipline these kids? Where are they going to go to church? What are they going to do? All these kinds of conversations. I find people, that they're madly in love, and it's really more heat than it is love, and, and they just kind of run into marriage just thinking it's all going to figure itself out. It doesn't. And you go, well, my grandparents, but your grandparents live in a different age and time. When people just didn't get divorced, or people just didn't, just didn't, they just kind of stayed together. They may yell and fight. I, I had a great aunt and uncle. She tried to kill him with a frying pan one time, and he tried to run over her with a car. Now, they were married for 50-something years. But can you imagine how long and how hellacious that 50-something years was? That's not marriage. That's like Mortal Kombat, right? I mean, that's what that is. And but, but that was a different age and time. And in our, in our world, it's very acceptable to, well, if it just doesn't work out, or if this just doesn't. No, 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 no. You've got to be prepared for the storms. They're going to come. So minimize. Live within your margins financially. So you, Because the number one thing that people fight over and divorce over isn't sex. It's money. 
more fights over money than anything else. So if you've got a, a you know, if you've got this real high-end taste and you married him and he's working third shift over here, honey, I got news for you. Life is going to be rough. And, 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 and if you just don't care and he cares, and like, there's going to be this problem. It's, it's, it's you've got to figure these things out and have these conversations. And go, what, what do I do if I'm in the middle of it? Have some honest conversations. Define reality. Well, we're having a hard time doing that. Great. They go to a marriage counselor, and I would suggest several to you in the area that are spot on that you can sit there and figure out what is level ground and how do we work this out. Because storms are going to happen. And even though you plan and have all the conversations in the world, life's still going to happen. So what do you do in those times? Be prepared. Commitment that makes the love last, not the love that makes the commitment last. It says here, make up your mind. You, you should make up your minds to have a covenant relationship, not a convenient relationship. A covenant relationship is surrendering your rights and assuming responsibility. A convenient relationship protects your rights and shakes off responsibility. Our world is filled with convenient marriages, convenient relationships, convenient partnerships. And what Solomon's talking about here. It's one that surrenders their rights and assumes responsibility. And the other thing that we see going on here is it's predecided. She says, if one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. It's predecided. Nothing will separate you. We are not going to divorce, period. The greatest thing you can do is not make an emotional decision. We all know this. The greatest thing for you to do is to predecide, not to uh, not to react, but to act, premeditated action. And so the reality is, is that when you enter into that marriage relationship, you're in that marriage relationship, that there's a decision that's made. It does not matter what happens. We're going to figure this out. We're going to work this out. We're going to work through this issue. If we've got to get counseling, we'll get counseling. If we need prayer, we'll get prayer. If we've got to move some things around, change some things around. But this is the most important thing in our life. Not the job, not the career, not the kids, but us. And, and so there's a decision. And again, some of what I'm saying is very countercultural. But I would go back to, look at the culture, look at what God's word says. Look at what the creator says to you and I as the creation. It's predecided. It's where Jesus talks about this in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, verse 9. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's a decision. It's a decision. It's this whole decision that love is going to persevere, that there's going to be up days and down days and good days and bad days, but we're going to keep committed because this commitment makes the love last, not the love that makes commitment last. Let's read on in verse 8 and 9. This is the brother speaking of, of, of the wife. We have a little sister, and she has not yet reached maturity. What will we do for our sister to prepare her for engagement? If she's a wall, on, on her wall we'll build an embattlement of silver, if she's a door, we will enclose it with the planks of cedar. What are they talking about? Lasting love is protective. It is protective. I want to explain this. It's protective. The brothers are speaking here that they have a responsibility as godly men in her life to protect her until the day of her marriage. Now, this is going to sound really old-fashioned and antiquated, but just walk with me through this that they are placed here as a protection 
And then when she gets married, then her hand in marriage is given then to yet another a man and to part of his role, not better than, not greater than, but his role to complement her is to protect, to provide, and to cultivate. Look at Genesis. It's what God tells Adam. So what happens here is that they're saying we're going to protect her. If she is a wall, then we're going to fortify the wall. If there's a door where something could come in, which means it could come in and it could go out, we're going to wall off that wall so that nothing can get to her, that she's protected. And this is talking about her virginity and, and, and explicitly, that there's a protection around her, that her purity of her physically is protected until the day that she goes to get married. But I want you to notice here that it's also the responsibility of the men that are in her life that are godly men, that they have a responsibility to her. Again, this is a bit countercultural. But men, we have a responsibility, not to lord over, because we're not any better than, please understand me. But we do have a responsibility to look at the women that are in this room, that are in our office, that are in our world, and that we live with the way we would our mothers or our sisters or our daughters. We have a responsibility, though this may be countercultural, to serve and to, pre and, to, and to prefer women in our world, in our office, in our work, and wherever, and the way that we would our mother, our sister, or our daughters. What do you mean, Aaron? I mean this. I know it's old-fashioned, but I mean it means holding open a door. It means preferring someone else, deferring to them, allowing to them, seeing someone that needs help, helping them. I understand there are people that will look at you. I tried to open up a door for a lady the other day, and she looked at me and refused to walk through. Got mad and indignant at me. And I said, sorry, man, that's just the way I was raised. You know, I, I mean, what do you want me to say? And, and I want to go, I, I, well, I won't, I'll filter my comments. So anyhow, I'm just <laughs> right going on. I almost got myself in trouble. I caught myself, babe. All right, so I'm just saying, like, I'm just... It's this pushback. And again, the reason why it is is because this whole issue is all cattywampus in the world in which we live in. It's not that men are better than women. They're not. And it's not that women are better than men. They're not. But it's that we are designed to complement one another and not compete with one another. But we have a responsibility as men of God to protect and to, and to pres and pre preserve and to bless. And in the same way, ladies, you have that same responsibility to, if, if you look at, at Proverbs 31, it's a woman that protects her household. She, 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 she provides for her household. This is not a stupid woman that just sits there and has kids and puts dinner on the table. This is a high-capacity woman. It's Scripture. And she's there to cultivate her household. And when we do our God-given role the way the Creator designed us to creation to do and to operate, it works. It's amazing how God knows what he's talking about. And when we try to figure it out and try to work around it, it doesn't. We try to violate the system, it falls in on itself. So, again, the idea here is, is to bless and to protect and to keep um, and I think the other thing, too, with this is if you have a door where there should be a wall, you've got to be careful. Because what it's talking about is that someone would come in and would take advantage of her sexually and violate her. And men, you have to ask yourself, do you have a door where you should have a wall? Maybe it's on your phone and there's things that you look at, see, you check out that you think no one else is seeing places that you go, things that you do, that you've allowed into your life. 
Ladies, do you have a door of affection to your affection or to your beauty where there should be a wall? You're not stupid. See, we've got to be careful. For our kids, are there doors that we need to build walls around? We have responsibility. Across the board, no, no, this is this is not a hot contested item. This is pretty much factual. By the time of eight to nine years of age in America, most kids in the 90th percentile have seen full-blown intercourse online. Eight-year-olds. I mean, when I was eight, the worst that it was, we were at the boys' club, there was a pond, somebody had a Playboy, and you could see a few things. But it was like a still image, and it was like, wow. And that was it. Today, it's full-blown. And, and people don't realize this. There are more more operations for pornography in America than there are McDonald's. The porn industry brings in more money than all professional sports combined in our country. Are we protecting our hearts? Are we protecting our kids' hearts? Are we protecting our spouse's hearts? That's what this is talking about. That this lasting love is protective. Let's read on. Verse number 10, I am a wall, she says, and my breasts are like towers. Yes, it says that. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. What is he talking about? Lasting love is peaceful. So because of the protectionary measures of her brothers and her family, her virginity, her purity has been, been protected in a way that her Self, her body is there for her husband and him alone. And the word contentment in the original Hebrew is the word shalom, which means peace. And it brings peace to him. So what he speak, what, what they're speaking of here is that because of the purity in the marriage relationship and be, because of that, there is a peacefulness that happens within the confines of the, of, of, of the marriage because, because they, there's been a, a heeding to the brother's advice and there's a relationship that everybody looks at and admires and, and it brings a lasting peace because there's this level of commitment and committedness to one another. Again, it's the commitment that makes the love last, not the love that makes the commitment last. And you have to ask yourself, it doesn't matter if you've been married for five months, five years, 50 years. Are you committed to your spouse? You're single and you're thinking, hey, one day I'm going to get married or remarried. Are you willing to commit yourself at that level? That's what it looks like. That's what it, and don't sell yourself out for someone else. This is the reason why when people say to me, you know, I'm dating this guy, but he's not going to church, but I'm believing he's going to come to church. And I go, no. Because your value system and his value systems are two different value systems. He may be a great guy. She may be a great gal. They may be incredibly handsome or good looking. But the problem is, is that, is that there is no way unless you leverage yourself in God's word that you're going to live this out. Why? Because it's countercultural. And, and the reality too is, is that we in the church have enough, have a hard enough time trying to live this out, much less someone outside the faith. The reason why the Bible says don't become unequally yoked. Do not become connected together with someone that doesn't believe what you believe. Don't become connected with someone that doesn't believe at the same level and intensity that you believe. Again, if 
their life is a cup, and a, the cup of their life is filled with 30% Jesus, and your cup of your life is filled with 70% Jesus, when you get together, it's not going to make 100%. It's not going to go up to 70%. Yours is going to go down. The lowest common denominator is what will rule. And that's not a huge issue until you start having kids. And then there's these fights, and there's these issues on how they're raised and what they do and what you teach them. Lasting, lasting love. So, so what do we do with this? Two statements, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray. First of all, love is a choice. Love is a choice. Love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Colossians 3.14, And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So love binds them together all in perfect unity. It says, put on love. That put on love in the original Greek, it's the same way you would go to your closet and pick out a garment that you're going to put it on. You're choosing to put it on. You're picking it out, you're choosing love, and you're putting love on. You're picking it out, you're choosing love, and you're putting it on. The exact same way you do that is how you love someone. Because there are days that people are just not lovable. There are days, I know it's hard for you to imagine that you're not lovable. I know you can't imagine that. But it's true. And in those moments, it's a commitment that makes the love last, not the love that makes the commitment last. You choose to put on love. It's a choice. It's a choice. I love, man, what it says when they ask Jesus... When the Pharisees asked Jesus, why did Moses give a right of, of divorcement in the Old Testament? Why does the law provide for divorce? And Jesus makes a statement, because the hardening of man's heart. Because somewhere in that marriage, they, one or both of them refused to put on love in their marriage. It's a choice. Secondly, being loved gives you the capacity to love. Being loved gives capacity to love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Because I've been loved, I can love others. Because I've received love, I can give love. Because I've received grace, I can give grace. Because I've received forgiveness, I can give forgiveness. Because I've been accepted, I can accept. There's a great responsibility to that. The Bible says, Jesus says that, that people should know that you and I, as Christ followers, are his because of our love one for another. Not because of a membership card or because of church attendance or because they see us pulling out of our driveway at 830 on a Sunday morning, but because of the love, because we have chosen to put on love. And where does that start? It starts with our relationship with Christ. It, it continues on with our relationship with our spouse. It continues on with our kids and our families, and then it goes to our job in the marketplace and around the world. It's the, the commitment that makes the love last, not the love that makes the commitment last.